What's up guys and welcome to A is a podcast. A podcast where we discuss a variety of topics from comedy, movies, and even mental health. Make sure you rate our channel and tell us what you think. And also follow DJ Sabotage, D-J-S-A-B-O-T-A-J on all socials and C-T-G Mark 10. That's C-T-G-M-A-R-1-0 on all socials. And now the latest episode of A is a podcast with DJ Sabotage. You are now listening to a cutastic beat. Hell yeah, I want it all. I ain't really trying to play. Ignoring every call if it ain't about to pass. So I really got a ball. Coach put me in the game. Ever since I got involved, it ain't never been the same. Hell yeah, I want it all. I ain't really trying to play. Ignoring every call if it ain't about to pass. So I really got a ball. Coach put me in the game. Ever since I got involved, it ain't never been the same. Hell yeah, I want it all. What's up, everybody? This is DJ Sabotage, and welcome to a is a podcast i'm here with my co-host my brother ctg mark 10 how are you hey how's it going oh man it's gonna be a good one it's good it's gonna be a good one oh your listeners have no idea who we have in store who's sitting right next to us quote-unquote via zoom um (laughs) (laughs) um so let me give a little introduction before she decides to jump in uh she is a singer that conquers all musical genres celebrating her 20 years of how i do she also worked with nars barkley and other grammy nominated and grammy winners she has been featured in uh, movie soundtracks her name is reese queen how are you what a great introduction thank you i'm doing good and i'm in philly right now so philly yeah philly my hometown yes yes hometown for for you for uh the roots will smith joe mm-hmm. scott uh daryl hall mm-hmm. so many greats so but, many greats but let me be even more specific you know i say my hometown is philly because that's that's like the biggest city very close to where i actually grew up i mean i was born in philadelphia and I live in Philadelphia now, but I was actually raised in the same city that Kobe Bryant went to high school, which is Lower Marion, which is a small suburb, like about 15 minutes away from city, the city. And, um, you know, so I'm from, you know, Philly, but I'm, but I grew up in Philadelphia, in, uh, Penn Valley in that same Lower Marion area area. So, you know, add that to the list. Add that to the list of greatness. Wow, that's crazy. We're small, we're small town people too. Uh, Lima, Lima ain't big. It's it's a very very uh, small town, especially in comparison to a place like Philly. So, Chris, you have any questions? You want to start it off? So, I have to be completely honest. I, until Taj uh, brought you up, I had not heard of your music before, mm-hmm. and. I would not consider myself a person that's very critical of music. I kind of love all kinds of music, um, ranges, whatever. I listen to anything. And I will have to call out my partner here because when he, he, he didn't text me and say, hey, here's our next guest. He didn't send me a message and be like, oh, by the way, we're doing this. He called me. He just either ran a marathon or got lucky. I didn't know because he couldn't breathe. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, he's going to. Reese coming out of the pocket. I'm like, calm down. We're going to be okay. 
who is this? Right. <laughs> yeah, listen to the music. Listen to the music. And I have to tell you, I haven't stopped since he told me about you. Oh, wow. You're insane. Like, you. the last time I, we were just talking about this before you came on, it's been years since I've had an artist literally make me wrap my head around their work. Um, wow. I had not heard your work, and I'm so upset with myself for not have heard it because it's you don't have a genre you don't have a box there is no way i can tell our listeners like oh well if you also like so and so uh you'll like reese like i can't i've I've tried for almost two weeks i've or however long it's been since he's told me i've i heard one song i'm like okay okay that kind of vibes with this and then the very next song was so different so for one thank you for the work that you put out there it's uh, insanely good how do you do it? Well, I don't do it alone, that's for sure. And, you know, I get that reaction from a lot of people. You know, I'll get either the reaction of, oh my God, like I love everything. I love everything. I love everything that you've done, you know, or I get, oh, I've never heard of you. And, or I just got introduced to your music and I had no idea this has been out for however long, you know? And, um, they're both very, I'm flattered by both. You know, they're, I take it as a compliment because I, um, I don't do it alone. Um, when I did my first album, How I Do, it definitely was a team, team, team thing. You know, back in 2001, I think a lot of artists um, put out music and we, when we were signed to major labels or any label, you know, they try to build this whole thing around you, this whole ambiance, this vibe, this theme. Um, and they also kind of want to make it seem like you do everything on your own. But there's no way I could have done an album like that on my own. Um, you know, I had a great, great team from the management to, you know, musicians to songwriters. You know, um, I locked in with Santa Gold for that album, and she wrote a lot of that album. She's a great songwriter. She's written, um, do you guys know who I'm talking about when I say Santi Gold? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. So we were childhood friends because our parents work together. Our parents are friends. And um, that's how we first met each other and we ended up connecting. I always sang, but I wasn't necessarily a songwriter. And she definitely was a songwriter and a drum major from Wesleyan. And we basically got together and in Brooklyn, we made a demo tape. And that demo tape um, led to us making an album and, you know, getting then we had to pull in, you know, a great producer. And we both heard this group called Astero at the time. And they had a great album called Breath From Another. We said, this is who we want to do our my album. And I even say our album, you know, because I really, we worked very closely on it for a while. And um, that producer from the group Astero, he, you know, brought his flavor in. Um, he also was a producer that he was great. He had great ideas, but he also n- didn't really know when to stop with the great idea. So then that's when like the management came in, who is, his name is Corey Smith. He was a great manager, is a great manager. Um, he basically was just like telling us when he thought the songs were done. He was like, you know, you guys don't need to keep working on it because we would still, we would make like three or four versions of each song from that first album because we were like, okay, we wrote the song. I sang the song, it got produced. Um, let's see if we can do it a whole nother way. 
So we just never stopped. We always were trying to find something bigger, better, um, more interesting, something that didn't sound like anybody else's music at the time. And I think we did a great job. Yeah, you kind of broke the mold a little bit. Like, yeah, it, it, it's amazing what that album did for me. Just like I said, here recently, I am, I am grabbing at straws, trying to find comparisons of people to explain you to people. Right. Uh, because I want to, like, I want more people like, I was telling Taj beforehand, uh, the people that work around my office, they just are your fans now because I won't stop playing your stuff on repeat. And it's such good music to just vibe with. Like, and again, it touches every genre. And that's such a rare thing, especially now. I think there's more and more boxes being put up that people are falling into. And I think that that's kind of a new thing. But I also think that they're... Oh, I think we're breaking up. So the pickup, oh, go ahead, uh, Reese, the pickup where? Yeah, where he left off. You know, I feel like every year there's, you know, a record label. There's, as long as we have major labels, we're going to have major boxes made for certain artists. And there's going to be artists all, you know, all the way trying to fit in those boxes because actually it's like a financial thing. Like sometimes when you fit in a box, then you get more money because, you, you know, for marketing, because they can see that you, you know, there's an audience for it already because maybe you're doing, maybe you're Keisha Cole and there's a Mary J. Blige out there, you know, so there's an audience for that. Or, you know, maybe you're, you know, a Willow Smith and, you know, there was someone like, you know, another like rock band, you know? So I feel like there's always going to be artists that try to fit in boxes and there's always going to be artists that don't. And it's just a matter of if a major label is going to give the artist that doesn't fit in the box, the chance and the budget. And I was very, very fortunate that, you know, my destiny was that I was going to be that artist that was able to create what she wanted to create with who she wanted to create with and look the way she wanted to look and not you know, it wasn't a package thing. It wasn't, you know, a, a pop, you know, factory that I went into and came out of. And, you know, it was all very authentic and genuine. And that's the one thing that I just try to maintain in my career now is that authenticity. And um, I was just lucky, you know, it was just my time and my destiny to be that artist. And we wanted to sound different. We didn't want our music to sound, you know, like anyone else's. Our reference point, believe it or not, at the time of making How I Do 20 years ago, which I can't even believe, is was um, Outkast. Wow. And the album does not sound like Outkast at all, but the reason the reference point came from Outkast because we wanted it to be different. We wanted it to, you know, basically no one else could sing these songs and pull them off but me. You had to be me to pull these songs off. We didn't want to have any features on, on the album. And we knew like in the very beginning, you know, Outkast, they didn't really have many features on their, on their projects. And we just wanted to be able to stand, you know, want this music and art to stand on its own and say, this is what it is. And it's not because of another artist on it, you know? Um, so I've only had one feature really, which was on a remix for Ice King and it happened to be Nas. Nas, yes, yes. You know? so, I love Nas, so that was like a no-brainer. If, if I could get him, I was, you know, going to be su- super excited, and we got him, so that was great. But, you know, that was like the reference point. It was just like Outkast, you know, they, they're they iconic, they're different, they're very, you know, unapologetically Black, and right. 
they're not trying to be whitewashed and no matter what they do, no matter what genre they hit and they're multidimensional as far as, you know, all the types of reference points and, and types of music that they involve in their music. And they created something that no one else created. So I think, you know, looking back now, I can't even believe we had such big high hopes and I can't even believe we did it, but we did. And to be honest, and, and not to try to sound like a fan, I, I love music. I grew up with, with music. Um, my family loved uh, the Jacksons, all of the family, even LaToya, uh, ja jazz and funk and things of that nature. Uh, I started to listen more outside of what they listened to. So it was more of like Riot, Riot uh, Motley Crude, and it meshed into pop music, you know, your NSYNCs and your Britney Spears. When... They Say Vision was introduced to me. I think it was uh, the Canadian channel, Much Music, was playing your oh, videos. Wow. Um, and that's why, how I got caught wind. Ever since then, it was like the soundtrack of my teenhood in a way. It was, it was a way of like a confidence boost. But how I do define so many genres that you really couldn't fit in a box but like you said, when, when you mentioned Outkast was the influence, that links up to Andre 3000 years ago in an interview when he said, don't make music for other people, make music that you love. Right. And if people follow through, then they follow through. But you have to make sure that you are authentic in a way of making music for you and how it makes you feel. So when you guys already had that idea for the album, you were already set to win. Right. And then the albums that came out that year, I mean, you had Missy came out, Busta came out, Eve, you had the White Stripes, you had System of a Down, Blink-182, Jay-Z, Wu-Tang, and then Reese. Like, you, it just it just stood out for, for that year. And I, I believe it's also timeless as well. I think that's where you have Chris and his coworkers can jump in on your album and say, wow, I really like this because it didn't sound like 2001. Right. Agree. So are you thinking about uh, going independent now since the, the time frame has changed where a lot of people are kind of leaving out of a label, doing things on their own right, making their own rules? Is that something that you're interested in? Yeah, well, you know, I wasn't interested in it at all. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, it's great to be indie. You see all these, you know, all this marketing and all these posts and all these interviews and, and all these seminars on being independent. And, and you have people really selling this whole thing of being independent. But I absolutely never wanted to be independent because I liked being on a major label. I was one of the people that actually had the experience of being on a major label. And now I have the experience of being independent. And honestly, I can still say from my experience of when I was signed in the late nineties, early two thousands, if things were that way right now, I would still want to be on a major label mm -hmm. because I was able to just be an artist. I was able to just wake up and just create. I didn't have to worry about, creating a marketing plan. I didn't have to worry about, you know, styling myself. I didn't have to worry about doing the web design, thinking of what my video was going to be like. All these things that now as a independent artist in 2022, it is 
virtually the norm for the artist to not only make the music, but also create the marketing plan, the theme, shoot the videos, come up with the ideas for the videos, um, do their website, you know, do their newsletter, do their fan club, be online. It, it's like so much stuff. And I'm not necessarily into all of the aspects of what it takes to be an independent artist. However, I have to do all those things. And I do as much as I can, but I'm not necessarily good at everything. So I really wasn't, you know, and, and it's funny because you never hear, I never hear anybody else say it. Like I've never heard another artist that has been on an independent or who is independent or who was actually on a major label at one time. I never hear them say that, but I don't, I'm not really interested in doing every single aspect of what it takes to be an artist. I just really like writing songs, singing songs, performing songs, and taking photos. I don't I get like, that completely. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not from the age and time where like, just because I have a camera, that means I wanna document myself 24 hours a day or document myself ever. Like I'm from the time frame of like, when you tried to create art that was so great that it made other people want to document you and just you be in your element doing what you do. And then someone wants to document that. I'm not really, you know, that's, that's where I'm from. I'm like old school. I'm not, you know, trying to be everything, do everything. I don't necessarily find pride in doing everything. You know, I just really like to sing. And, and now I, I, you know, I like to write songs too, but I really just like to sing and perform and, and, and take photos and do interviews, but I don't, I'm not necessarily like into the ad, administrative work. You know, I, you know, I, now that I'm independent, it's like, I call up ASCAP and have to ask them, how do you, how do I register my song? Like, I don't, I'm not interested in doing that, but you know, that's what it takes now. And I am independent. So I'm, I'm up for the challenge, but I would definitely prefer to be on a major label. And that's really good insight for those who want to start their career off and not sure how to. It's a lot. to no, it's just a lot of work that I'm not necessarily into. And, it, and exactly. So you definitely need a team if, if all you want to do is create and be an artist and want to stay focused on that particular stride and road. I mean, for me as a DJ, that's me. <laughs> DJ sabotage is me. So I, I have to do the uh, scheduling, the, the music, the creativity, the meeting to people, the flyers, the, you know, that's all me. So yeah, like if I had a team that would say, hey, I'll take care of this. I'll, I'll run this era. I'll run the, uh, the accountant part. It would just take a lot of a load off for me to just go, all right, cool. Where do I go? I'll perform. Thank everybody talk to fans or, you know, people that's around and go to the next row. So yeah, that's a really good insight for, uh, for new up and coming artists. Mm -hmm. I was reading Nas remixed a version of Ice King. He did. Um, years ago, we, you know, we were, we made the album and, you know, the label's like, okay, we want to do remixes. And, you know, the reason why we do remixes is because we want to connect two different worlds. You know, we want to get a different audience to listen to the song. And it's so funny because now like I'll, you know, I watch like MTV or something or, um, and I recently saw like Maroon 5 and they did a song with Megan Thee Stallion. And it looks so ridiculous to me because 
like they're just so different. It's like, you know, that they don't know each other in real life. Like, you know, you know, but it seemed like I, I was, I felt very fortunate that, you know, I technically did a remix for that same reason to like cross market, you know, different, different audiences, but it actually made sense. If there's any artist you want to remix one of your songs, just saying, so that's, that's, that's one to get involved with, you know? Yeah. And, and I felt the record, I, I picked him because I thought the record matched. Like I thought it would be great to have him, you know, rap about, you know, whatever it was, you know? And, um, and on that song, Ice King, I just thought that would be really sick. And it came out pretty good. And um, that entire album's insane. Like, I just, so I've watched about every interview that I could possibly find between YouTube, Google searches and everything. And I'm sure you've done a million. So you're not going to remember every single thing you ever said. But um, one of the coolest aspects uh, of the interviews I saw when you were doing that album was that you were talking about that you wanted it to be so different and really the only influence that you took in at the time was outcast stankonia yeah and i i as soon as you said it it clicked in my head i was like oh my god that's and that's what it was it was like I, now did you set out to do that was that in your head initially or just as you were writing you were like wait a minute we're really doing something different here although we had the same mix engineer neil pope we got him to mix my album because we just love the mixes that he did with outcast but as far as as, as that comparison, you know, we just wanted it to be different. We didn't want to have a bunch of um, features on it. You know, we didn't want to have a bunch of like, oh, this song has this person, this song has that person. We didn't want that to be the hook. We wanted the hook to be, you just actually like the music that was made. We wanted it to be genre blending. We wanted it to be just something you've never heard and something that when you heard it, when you heard the song, you couldn't imagine anybody else singing it except me. You know, and if you didn't know who I was, that would be the introduction. Like, okay, this girl does these like random songs that have a blend of rock guitars, reggae bass lines, and hip hop drums, and the way how she sings it, and and how convincingly she's singing these songs. Because I didn't write a lot of the songs; I only wrote like co-wrote two of the songs. We just wanted it to be like you believed it, like you listened to her and you think she wrote it, she lived it. She made it, she did everything with it and that it was her own thing, you know, but it, it definitely took a team. And, um, and you know, we, we all saw eye to eye when, you know, there was a time when, you know, we would work on the, on the songs. And if someone said, oh, this sounds like, or reminds me of another song, then we would scratch that idea completely because we didn't want anything to sound like anything you've heard before, you know? We just wanted it to feel great and you know we and we tried to do that now some people think when they hear they say vision they say oh you sound like stevie nicks or something you know but and i'm so grateful for that because that's a huge compliment however i don't think they say vision sounds like any of her songs you know so that was also like the point you know just to give you a great feeling you know something that sounds great something that sounds convincing authentic and something that doesn't sound like you're going to hear another like pop star singing singing it you know yeah the only way i've even come close to explaining your music to somebody is like and i have to go down a million fields i'm like okay so if you take a lot of 90s hip-hop drums 
mix that with some bass lines from like 311 or Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm-hmm. and then Anita Baker and Aaliyah tag team up to work on harmonies. Like mm-hmm. that, I have to do that because your harmonies to me are they don't make sense. No, so like <laughs> they're not of this world. Like so, I'm, Taj talked about being a DJ. I'm I'm a musician, or at least was. I, I haven't quite a few years. Kids kind of threw that off for me. But yeah, I spent a, a good close to 10 years uh, playing shows, traveling, nothing crazy, nothing even close to, you know, successful. Um, but I really loved the writing and recording process. It was funny because like you were talking about, like, I just want to sing and do this. I was the opposite. I hated doing shows and being in front of people and, you know, having to sell myself. But I loved sitting down with other musicians and just being like, let's move this bridge here and this progression here. And like, so to me, your harmonies aren't human or you know that or they're just i don't know because the first time i listened to the hustler and the combo i heard and i'm hope i'm assuming that you did your own harmonies on that yeah i did all the all the harmonies in the whole song but the thing is it, it was for the hustler that song was like weird you know we we wanted to have like a lead that was a lead vocal that sounded like you know a harmony and we wanted the lead to sound like not a harmony like the lead so we just like kind of combined them and the way we mixed it was kind of more important than was the most important part of how we mixed it and that we just committed to having two like two like vocal parts at the same time and just say that's it you know yeah that was easily my favorite song from the album I know and again, flowers and, and coo- that's a weird one. I like weird stuff, which really is what annoys me that I didn't know who you were. You're <laughs> the exact artist that I love finding like independently yeah. and like showing to other people. I, I think, you know, a lot of mainstream people, like I will never brag about machine gun Kelly to somebody, the dude's yeah. everywhere. I, he doesn't need somebody yeah. like me being like, Hey, you should look into machine gun Kelly. If he's out there. I love finding artists that are obscure and different and, you know, stand out a bit on their own and being like, you got to check this out. Cause I, I feel like there's not enough avenues for artists like that. Right. So, yeah. I, I have an artist for you that a group that came out a few years ago that I think they came out on Def Jam, but they're one of my favorite groups. You may know them. The group is called AOE, the letter A, the letter O, and the letter E, all capitals. A-O-E. That album is insane to me. My my partner Steve McKee, he's a great drummer, a great producer. He introduced me to that music, and I'm still blown away by it. And the album came out like a few years ago, and the group like broke up. It was like a hip hop producer, I think, and like just like this guy named Philip, who's a, a white dude that can sing his ass off and write and, he, and, the, and together they write great songs or maybe he's writing these great songs and the other guys doing the production. I don't know, but that's like, that's another great group. So I feel you like I'm, you know, the same way where I like to find the, like the weird stuff or just the stuff that's really good that may not have been ma- so mainstream, you know? Yeah, Love, and that's Sorrow. The- Love Sorrow is amazing, by the way, his voice. Yeah. on that is is like yeah chris yeah, yeah the, love love backslash sorrow is like harmony like the the tone of his voice is so echoey and so ghostly just yeah. get gets into your skin um so speaking about that and you speaking about uh stevie nicks what was your inspiration for re-fried mag 
we were refrying the mac man. <laughs> we were like trying to think what what are we going to call this ep that's five of my favorite fleetwood mac songs we were like we're refrying the mac that's where we got the name from and Not that it was just basically you know we just wanted to do fleetwood mac songs um you know everyone had kept saying to me like oh you sound like stevie nicks you kind of have that raspy and i didn't really hear it myself i just kind of went with it because everyone was telling me this and i originally i hate to say this but i didn't know like who stevie nicks was i was like wait a minute i i heard the songs and i knew all the songs from like in the supermarket or on the radio you know but i didn't know like Oh, this is a group. This song is by a group called Fleetwood Mac, and the lead singer is Stevie Nicks. And blah, blah, like, I didn't know those details. I I wasn't like a kid that was like an almanac for music. I just like certain songs, and I never really thought about who sang them or you know what genre it was or anything. I just if it was a good song and I liked it, I cling to it. And then people started telling me, oh, then I put my album out, and then people were like, oh, you sound kind of like Stevie Nicks, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then someone gave me that idea. They said, why don't you? do some of her cut co- like cover some of her songs you know as a singer you realize what keys like what you know key you sound great in you know or what key you sing in and people like that tone of voice or whatever and it kind of just you know worked out I mean I I said okay let me get with this guy Tom Spiker he's a Philadelphia producer um great guitar player great producer and he had this like way of doing music um this certain style and you know, that was his style. You know, I didn't, I'm, I, I started producing later in the game, you know, but I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's like, okay, I'm good at this. I know someone else is this guy over here is good at that. Let's, let's figure out what we're going to do together, you know? And that's kind of how I approach working with people because I don't, I don't work with people that I have to tell them what to do. You know, I like to work with people that it's like, they got their thing and it's dope and I want to put my thing to it, you know, vocally. And that's what happened and that's what we did. We, we did that album over like a few, peer, a few months um, and we would only do like four hour sessions a day. Like we, I would come there, he has a great studio, like phenomenal studio at his house um, that's also attached to like a garage where he had like this, like, you know, a refrigerator in there and like IPA beers and I would go there, I set up my laptop, grab a beer. I would like look online and internet shop while he was like making the beats. And then I would pop in and he'd be like, okay, you ready? Sing the verse, sing the chorus, do this, do that. And, you know, but he came up with a great sound, you know, he, you know, we tried to, we attempted to do a few other songs, but it, you know, you know, which ones work and you know, which ones don't. And the five that we picked worked really well. We wanted to do landslide because everyone else always asks, like, did you do landslide? <laughs> and we tried, but there's some things that you just can't do anywhere near the justice that it deserves. So you just kind of leave it alone. But we feel like we, you know, we were we were a little nervous doing this project because Stevie Nicks is such a great legendary artist, such a great songwriter. And you don't want to, you know, screw up her songs or you don't want to put out a version of her songs that all her fans are going to hate or people are going to like just not like so you know we were nervous about it but it, it also made us focus even more and and really really hone in on what the sound was going to be musically and I wanted to really make sure things connected by singing the songs 
you know, the way that they were originally written melody wise. So I think it really worked out. It was a really good, you know, time. It was actually really fun to make, really stress-free, free. And, you know, some of the be better times I've had in the studio, you know, um, and we did it in Philly and it was very, very fun and stress-free and it's great to perform. And I do perform those songs to this day, so. Well, I'm gonna have to tell you right now, I have to disagree with you because I don't 100% believe that you actually covered those songs because I definitely believe you 100% reimagined them. Right. I think there's a big yeah. difference between yeah. I can cover a fleet, you know, I can play the chord progression and sing the, the rhythms and this, that. What you did with Dreams, that's not Fleetwood Mac. You, like, Johnny Cash didn't cover, you know, Nine Inch Nails. He reimagined that song. Whitney Houston didn't cover Dolly Parton. She reimagined uh, that song. Like, you took those songs and you made them completely your own. I to me, those aren't covers. To me, those that's you reimagining what that song was in your own style. Yeah, and again, we, that's crazy. Yeah, we did. I mean, I, I if you look at it that way, you know, I'm really flattered that you think that. And, and you know, I'm such a huge fan of Stevie Nicks. I feel like, I don't know, you just, you know, you just don't even want to like say that. But I, I think, I, I thank you for that because, you know, I really like those songs and we really worked hard on them. And because, you know, it did take time to figure out how to sing these songs, you know, in a way where like we liked them and where we felt like almost like not embarrassed, you know, and, you know, cause it's, it's not an easy, they're not easy songs to do. And I don't know, they just, I don't know when you just really respect an artist and what they do and such great songwriting, you want to sing their song, but you know, you can't do their song better than them. But I think reimagining them is a great way of saying it because, um, the production on it really helped me get out of the zone of how the song goes, you know, or how it, how it was first written. And, and I think without that production, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So a big shout out to Tom Spiker for that. Um, well, well, when I talk to Stevie, I'm going to show her and be like, listen, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it also shows your uh, artistry, your creativity and your love for music. I mean, your version of the chain is amazing. Like, like you Very said, different. just the, the cool. rearranging of it all and, and how it gets like aggressive and then soft at the same time. And, and yeah, Fleetwood Mac did the same thing, but it was such a different energy in the way that you put it. I can imagine it live and it being. It's like that live. It's a saint, <sighs> see, Jesus. We're going to Philly. <laughs> we going to Philly. Because yeah, it's, you know, the, the way he did it, you know, he used real instruments. He's, you know, Tom is a very specific type of producer where he's like, he's not, you know, how I do had, you know, it was kind of like a little bit, a lot more teched out than, you know, like with songs like The Hustler, you know, versus, of, you know, anything on the Refried Mac EP. That was very, you know, organic and very, you know, real instruments and, him click clacking on like a stick and like something, some instrument in his studio and playing, you know, real keys and drums. And well, he didn't play the drums, but he played it pretty much everything else. So he really did it, you know, and he's, he's just into like the organic um, sounds, you know, organic sounds and, and real instruments. And I think that really was the highlight, you know, for me, it was the highlight was being able to figure out how to sing the chain to that beat, you know, or Edge of 17. It was like, if you could hear some of the demos, it, I mean, I remember one, the first session where he played me the beat, the beat wasn't completely done. And 
it just was like a weird like thing. I couldn't even catch it at first. I was like, How, what, when do, where do I, what am I supposed to say? I'm supposed to sing what song over this? But then, you know, as it was getting made, you know, and he was working on it and working on it, it he was like, just, just go for it here. This is where you start, you know, and just go for it. So I did, and it was like, oh, now I get what he's saying. Now I get what he's playing, why, is he, why he's playing it. And it worked, and it was just so brilliant to me. Like what he did, was so brilliant. That that album is genius. And, and speaking of albums, so 2001, How I Do drops. That's your stamp. That that's your here I am. This is me. 2009, Black Girls Rock. Thank you. We're oh we're we're gonna we got a whole thing to talk about Black Girls Rock. Oh wow. Big oh it's amazing. Big Seriously. gap in between. And if there's, if it's something you don't want to talk about, you're not allowed to talk about, I completely understand. I got what information I could on it, but you had your follow-up album done. It looks like um, MCA kind of got absorbed by Geffen records mm -hmm. and it, they just locked up your, your follow-up album. So I was curious if you would talk about a little bit of how that all happens, mm -hmm. how you have this artist on the rise, dropping amazing songs, getting all this momentum and a label can just be like, nah. And I think I watched one interview where it may not even been the label. It could have been the producer. Could you just like clear that up for me? Because as an artist myself, the idea of producing something and then seeing what that was after listening to Black Girls Rock and realizing somebody was sitting on that thinking, I don't know if it's going to do that good, or I don't know if we need to put this out there. They cannot be in the position, like that's unacceptable to me because mm -hmm. I like Black Girls Rock more than I like how I do. Right. I appreciate that. That means- Oh my oh, God. Because that album that shit. so much to me because that <laughs> was the album that I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do this shit all. I'm going to do it. Like I'm yes. going to write all these songs. I'm just going to like get into it. Like, I, you know, my, my manager at first was like, you know, you got to start writing. And I was always very hesitant because I feel like I'm, you know, I really know how to sing, but as far as writing, and I have confidence in that because I've been doing that since I was eight years old. So, you know, you have confidence in that. But it was like writing songs, uh, like I wasn't really that confident in that. But, you know, I just took it by the balls and was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I was in a position where How I Do came out, you know, they did what they wanted to do with it as far as pushing it. And it was time to start working on another album. And then MCA went under and they decided that they were going to drop everyone except 100 artists on the label. I was one of those 100 and they said, we're going to make Geffen records with you guys. And I was fortunate and unfortunate because I was fortunately, I was one of the 100s. And also fortunately, I was, my budget was already open for me to start making, you know, what is called Black Girls Rock. However, there was no president to the label for a while. And I was just in the studio with my budget open to make um, songs and to go in the studio and pay for it. So I, you know, my manager's like, we're gonna still make our album while they figure out who's gonna run this label. And I went through three different presidents to run the label. And we got to, you know, maybe, um, I think it was Ron Fair was the guy who, who you know, was the person that was gonna definitely run Geffen. And he was running A&M at the same time. And, you know, throughout the whole time, every president that came in the door, I met with them like the first week they were in, in office or whatever, or in their position. 
And they all would say the same thing. Like, why, how come my whole staff is saying that you're the artist I need to meet? You're one of the artists I need to meet with like as soon as possible. And I'm like, well, because the people there like my music. You know, I was one of those artists that the people that worked for the project actually liked it. And they thought, wow, this is something different that doesn't come through a lot. And it's not quite frankly, like, you know, manufactured pop music, which is what they're inundated with because that's what makes the money. And that's what keeps the lights on, you know? Um, so three times of that going around and I finally landed with um, Ron Fair and I went to his office and he showed me um, this board that he had. He had two boards, like, you know, dry eraser boards. And he goes, you see that list of people on the board? I have to put all those albums, all those people's albums out before I can put yours out because I'm the new president of the label. And basically just like any other company, when you come in, you know, when you, when you clean house and you're like, okay, I'm the new guy, you have, you got the job because you have a certain amount of artists that you're bringing to the table to put in, to, to put out. And he basically showed me a list that had like Justin Timberlake on it. It had Fergie on it, Black Eyed Peas on it. It had, you know, this person had that person had, Ashley Simpson had, you know, all these motherfuckers on it. And I was like, okay, like I, I need to leave. Like I need to get out of here. So I asked to leave the label. But before I asked to leave the label, he said, you know, there's one song on your album. He said, there's one song on your album that I really like. And Ron Fair was known to basically, um, he was known for two things. One, he was like a music encyclopedia. Two, he knew like, it's a few things. He, he just really knew music. He studied his shit. Like he knew, like, you know, he just knew a lot about music and he also loved strings and jazz, you know, jazz, jazz and string arrangements. So, and he also was a producer. So everyone was like, yeah, you know, the thing with Ron is if he likes your music or likes your album, you know, he's probably going to push it if he can produce something on it. Right. And you're just kind of like, well, I don't really need him to produce anything. Like I did this song, you know? So he's like, well, I like this. There was one song I really love on this album and it's called For Who You Are. And I would love to put strings, like do a string arrangement on there. Now, the song For Who You Are, I wrote it, I co-produced it. And you know who played on that record that he, he heard the song that, the song that he heard that was completely done at that point that he said he wanted to add strings to and if he added strings to it he also would get a production credit and he, he did that to like cry me a river he did this to everybody's stuff you know it was a song that had wawa watson on it ray parker jr playing on it um jim gilstrap who sang in wonder love singing background with stevie wonder on it it had you know all these all these guys freddie washington who played the bass for the temptations it had tay yuler a, oh, a guy who played guitar for the mamas and the papas Wawa Watson, um, James Gatson on drums, who played on uh, Bill Withers' Use Me Up. He had, it, it had uh, a guy named Edwin Birdsong playing vibraphone on it, who played with Roy Ayers. Now, do you really think I needed his strings on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh... But that was the whole thing with him. It was like, you know, cause he was the president of the label. So I asked to leave the label because one, I wasn't trying to wait for like 20 pop records that usually have a lifespan of like three years each, you know, to, to wait. I didn't want to wait to like for all those albums to come out and to be done with it before mine came out. My album was done. I did it over the last like three presidents 
the time that they could have three presidents come and go, I, I did my album. And quite frankly, I was ready for it to come out. When he put out Nelly Furtado's album before mine, somebody who wasn't signed when I was signed, who got signed while I was there, made her whole album. And then she, they pushed her stuff so she could you know, get her cover done, her artwork done, and they released it. And I was still waiting. I was like, oh, I got to get the fuck up out of here. Yeah, somebody so, fucked up. Yeah, yeah, wow. I was, like, I was like, I can't keep waiting. Like, this is ridiculous. And, but the horrible part is that it was the wrong time. It, well, it ends up being the right time because, you know, what's your destiny is your destiny. But for me, I felt like it was, I didn't realize that the music industry was actually dying at that point. So usually a person of my stature would have, you know, left one major label and would have went to the next major label. But when the music industry is going to shit and there's no, you know, money is like, they're not making the money they used to make. They were like, yeah, okay. Like we're not gonna, we're gonna, you know, you can leave the label and you can try to get another record deal with another major label, but all the ma major record labels were losing money at that time. It was like 2006, 2003, four, you know? And that's what happened. So no, no one wanted to pick up the bill that I created from the first album because I never recouped from the first album. So whoever wanted to get the second album, Black Girls Rock, which wasn't even titled Black Girls Rock, it was just titled Reese at the time, they had to pay not only for the album that I made, but they had to pay what I didn't recoup from how I do. And that was, wow. that was like about two and a half million dollars that someone would have to sign me. And when you put up the numbers of how many albums I actually sold at that point, versus how much money they would have to pay to get the next album. They, it, it just doesn't make sense, you know, like numbers wise, like no accounting like department is gonna say, yeah, we need to sign this person because I didn't sell enough records to recoup. What is, what a dumb business, like. It's based off of numbers. Cause it is, you know, a, for lack of better words, like a fortune 500 company, it's a, it's a company. Right, but how many like great songs have we not heard because of something like that? Right? Are you kidding me? There's great albums you haven't heard. I know, like, yeah, wow. There's so many albums that, you know, even like Death Row Records didn't put out. You know, it, it's like Tupac Records they didn't put out yet. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it, it happened to everybody. They all ran, major labels all run the same way. It's just a numbers game. They're just, it's, it's, you know, it's not about the art at all. That's why, you know, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre are billionaires because they they got out of making, they still have record labels because that's what they're known for, but they're really into music technology. They're technology, they're into technology. That's what they make their money off of. You know, it's it's not what you think it is. But you know, you win some, you lose some. And for me, I still, you know, that's the negative side of being on a major label, you know, because they decide when your music comes out and they decide if it, you know, and you hear artists all the time saying, Oh, I'll put my music out. And the label's like, no, we need to kind of like run this one song a little bit more because we we got to get our numbers off of this one song before we get to the next, you know. But so they kind of lose um, momentum, you know, for the culture or you know to be a part of a culture of of whatever is going on at the time. They like lose that because they're just about their numbers. But the benefit is that you know a major label can keep you. They can keep money in your pocket because they can always like they have so much leverage as far as like a you know in a bigger standpoint like say i'm signed right now to jimmy Iovine. okay say he's like oh, i'm not ready to put your record out because i don't feel like you know it's going to sell enough because so and so and so and so put out their album 
well, it's like, you know, this is really not that much sweat off your back because he can then say, well, you know, we'll just sign you to a deal to, you know, promote some Dr. Dre beats headphones, you know, mm-hmm. and you're going to do some shows, you know, for that company, or you can do private parties for us over here or over there. So you still can, you know, you can still work within the industry and never put out an album and still be fine. So, you know, it's all about what you want. I, you know, for me, I love, I love making music and I like, you know, living a certain way. So it it wasn't so much about, I guess, I hate to say, but at the time it wasn't really about the fans, you know, it, cause I didn't, I didn't have any, I just started like, so it wasn't like they were like any, like it, that was not even in the equation of me making music, like that I would actually have a fan. It was just like, I like to do this. I've always done it, you know, and now it's actually turning into a great job financially. But then once you actually put music out, actually do the tours, actually get that feedback, you know, then it starts changing the game and then you're hooked. Then you're just like, I don't care if I have a major label or not, I'm doing it. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at now. And see, this is why I love everything about you because every interview I've watched, you are open, you're you're blunt. You don't bullshit anything. I've now watched, I don't know, 15 to 20 at least interviews with you. And so I've been thinking about how to ask this question all week because I don't want it to sound disrespectful or rude in any way. And I just, I have a genuine curiosity because you've obviously had a 20 year career in music. So it's not that you have not found success in it. I guess the question I have is, do you have any resentment from them blocking up that second album? Because with the momentum off of your first album, I feel like now after listening to Black Girls Rock and how amazing it is, if it could have came sooner, do you feel like that would have perpetuated you? into a higher, you know what I'm trying to ask? Like, yeah, I think they, I think they messed up when they, they messed absolutely up. The they messed up. They, they messed up on the first record because they, you know, unfortunately, it, and it's a big, unfortunately, you know, I found, I feel like I found out later that, and, and I, I feel like I got this answer from Jimmy Iovine himself, that the reason why they didn't, pushed my album the way they should have and didn't put the money behind it was two reasons. One, because they put my music, you know, to the test like anybody else's. They, you know, do a lot of demographic analyzation of it, meaning they send it out to focus groups and they try to get a response of what song does the focus group like the best? Which one do they think, um, what genre do they think it, it fits in? But the problem was when they gave my record out, they got four different singles back that, that they, you know, thought it was great. Now, I feel like that they they messed up because instead of saying, okay, we're going to do this single first in this market, and then this single second in this market, and this single third in this market, they said, because there's four songs that came back with the same numbers, we don't know what to do. So they just didn't do anything. So dumb. Now, was that with how I do or with that was, that was with how I do? And then the second thing that I found out after the fact was that because I was a black girl and I looked more like a neo soul artist, you know, they they gave me the neo soul treatment. They, you know, I didn't have a budget, you know, I didn't have like I had to fight for a budget to go on the road and to have a band you know, where all the artists that look like me and, 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 and came from where I came from, meaning Philadelphia, they, you know, minus like the roots, they, they didn't give you guys, they didn't give us budgets. They wanted us to go out there like a track gig, like we were Brandy or like just some random R&B chick. And 
it was like, no, this music needs a band. You need to see it played and you need to see it performed a certain way so you can be convinced that this is authentic. And Jimmy Iovine literally said to me, and this was this was way after when, uh, you know, Pharrell, I was working with Pharrell and Pharrell was like, yo, why are you not signed to the label? This is ridiculous. I'm going to call Jimmy right now. And he first he called Ron Fair and Ron was like, oh, I can't sign her back. I got to do this, this and that. And he hung up on him. And he literally called Jimmy Iovine and said, man, you need to have this girl sign. And Jimmy was like, okay, do some records on her and then I'll have a meeting and we'll see what's up. And when I got in the meeting, he heard the records. He said, oh, they sound like Pharrell records. And I'm like, yeah, he wrote them. Like, he's the hottest producer right now. Like, what do yeah. you expect? And then he's like, and, you know, to be honest, you know, he looked me in my face. It was just me and him in the office. He's like, you know, it's going to cost me more money to promote you because it's going to cost more money to convince people that you are authentically doing this music. Wow. Meaning you're a black girl that has like an Afrocentric vibe to her. And you're not out here, you know, talking like, basically I took it as, you know, you're a black girl that likes to look black and you are from Philly and this and that, but you don't make music. You don't, you don't look like what you make. So it's going to cost me more money to convince people that what you're doing is, is authentic. And I'm just like, come on, man. But that's, wow. what it, but that's how it is when you're with a major label. And then when you think about it, specifically with Jimmy Iovine, it's like, you know, Jim, you know, Jimmy Iovine's Elvis is Eminem. And, you know, you know, then you have Mary J. Blige and you have like, you know, um, you know, Keisha Cole is like the next person. And then you have at that same label, you have Dr. Dre and then you have Game and then you have Bishop Lamont. You know, you have all these artists that pretty much follow one lane like they just follow like they they have specific reference points it's like jimmy's always going to sign somebody that sounds or gives him that mary j blige thing because he thinks that that's a stereotype that works that is a stereotype like a, a box that's like a a zone that's not even just a stereotype but it's just a type that's it's a terrible. type for music it's a type for a look it's a type for a sound it's a type for you know a personality it's all the same so that's, and that's what they made money off of. And that's what they will continue to make money off of. Well, thank God for like independent labels and multiple social platforms, because yeah. we're starting to see all these artists that are like, look at TikTok. TikTok, TikTok is getting yeah. these young artists with these off the wall, just little indie records and they're, they're skyrocketing. And I think that's great. Never. That. And they would have never made it because half of these people, like, you know, they don't look like what you think. Mm -mm. They, they look like how they look they look right. like they dress how they want to dress they you know they're not really like you know this whole little pop star thing and you know that's where you know I came out in late 90s early 2000s and that's what the norm was it was like you look you know you have this you fit in this box in this realm and I kind of had like a different thing going it just was like two different cross it, it, it wasn't like I was coming out wearing you know pink hair or something like that but it was just like <laughs> you know, okay, you have this girl that looks pretty Afrocentric with, if you just look at her face and her hair, but when you hear her music, it's not straight up R&B. It doesn't sound like Neo Soul, Neo Soul. And then she's kind of on a little bit like alternative kind of stuff. I mean, I look at like Willow Smith and I'm like, oh yeah, like, okay, I get why, you know. That was actually one comparison I told Taj. I was like, exactly. The only, the only thing I could think of was that new song she has. I was like, no, 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 no. 
I was like, does she kind of have that vibe? But that kind of leads me to my next question. Do you just feel like every album you come out with, you're 10 years ahead of where you should be? Because you are. Because you are every fucking time. Like, I, you know, it's weird. It's kind of weird because I think that that first album definitely, the second album, honestly, when I made it, I thought that I was, I made that album specifically that way with those producers and wrote those kind of songs. One, because that was just what I liked. And then two, I was like, okay, I'm signed to this major label. And I know that they can probably like get it on television shows. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe my stuff will probably be on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> like, you know, I, I can make songs like that and I like them. And it just, I don't know what I wrote about. Also, it just kind of came out that way, you know, and the people that naturally, you know, I asked to work with and they were like, okay, yeah, you know it just kind of worked out that way. And I was like, okay, well, this will work. Cause I, you know, it can, I, I was trying to find ways, like I made this music and I was trying to come up with ways to like convince them like, yeah, put it out because you can do this and that with it. And they, you know, sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. And I saw all these other albums come out and I was like, you know what? I think I probably should leave and just like go somewhere else. Someone else will buy it. And then that, you know, the demise of the industry came. I mean, you know, and, people weren't paying as much for, you know, anything because it was like, okay, we're losing money and we don't know what's going to happen. And it, and I guess they were smart to do it because, you know, the industry kind of did go down the toilet for a minute. And, you know, people went from having $450,000 budgets for music videos to like not ever having anything like that again, you know? And um, now kids are doing live phones. Yeah, now <laughs> so it, it all changed, you know, and I, you know, but I didn't know I was ahead of my time or anything. I mean, I just did what I liked. We just did what we liked at the time. And you can't convince me that on my way isn't in a movie somewhere. Listen, every on person. my way is on repeat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for a week. <laughs> yes. Like I can't, I, I can't it. stop. The progressions are just too damn good. The bridge is amazing. The lyrics are there. The music progression is there. Everything about on my way is one of the most sellable damn songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's like, a good one. It's like a good pop song, you know? And it's amazing. I, and that song was done with um, the one of the girls from Luscious Jackson, if you remember that band. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, her name is Jill. And we got together and we were like, yeah, we're going to do the song. And we did, did it in New York. And, uh, you know, it was a great fun time. But I, and we love, like, we love the music, you know? And I had a really great mix engineer who like mixed Michael Jackson, the remastered Michael Jackson shit. Like we had like all the right great things, but they just didn't want to put it out. And I got tired of waiting and I just saw all these other artists put, you know, being signed, working on their album, releasing their album. And I was still waiting to like talk to the art department. And I was like, okay. So then I just asked to leave and I did. And you know, it was a bittersweet moment for me because I, again, I wanted to be signed there. I, I liked everything that was going on there. Um, I felt like, you know, it, it helped me make one of the worst decisions in my career, which was firing my, my first manager because I, I got frustrated. Like, dude, you can't get these people to put my record out or you can't get them to do this. You, can't, you know, not really understanding the, the ins and outs of the music biz. I I, you know, was just like, well, I guess I just need to get a new manager too, like someone that, you know, and I, I do regret that that is one, you know, one decision I do regret. But um, other than that, you know, it, 
it, it started like a long time of me trying to like search and figure things out. And, you know, I had to force myself to want to be independent and, you know, I didn't at first. And then I, now I'm, you know, a lot better with it, but, um, it's, it's just a journey. I mean, it led me to singing backgrounds for Narls Barkley because I just realized, okay, you know, I'm not going to get a deal right now, but I still want to sing and I still want to create. And that was a great opportunity. I still wanted to perform. So I did amazing things with them as far as, you know, I was a background singer for them, but it was like the first and only background gig I ever had. But what a background gig to have is, you know, to be with on the touring band for St. Elsewhere, you know, and yeah. for, um, for Narles Barkley. So that was like amazing and the costumes were great. But, you know, it, it, it started like, you know, a roller coaster, roller coaster ride in my career. And, you know, now I look back, I, you know, it's a, it's, it's a real journey. It's a, it was a real true journey, something that I could probably write a book about, you know, and um, it taught me a lot and I'm better for it. And I'm in a whole new phase now. And I actually started my own label recently. And I'm, you know, well, kudos to you because yeah, I know you were very young when How I Do came out. And so I can only imagine like the mindset you know, at that, where my mind was at the time, it wasn't making the best decisions, but for you to have an album, like how I do with its uniqueness and the way it is sometimes follow-up albums I've noticed are either a lackluster or B people try to lean into like what makes them so different so much. It's almost hokey. Mm -hmm. the, the, the truth is your second album came out with hit after hit on it. That could have very easily been mainstream for the time. Right. Um, like by myself, literally, I thought it was somebody else singing the first time I heard it. I'm like, it doesn't even sound like anything. It doesn't sound like Golden Boys or anything. Like, I had to look it up. Like, I thought maybe something was like messed up on the uh, the channel. Like, I was like, this doesn't even sound like her. That sounded like a lot of pop songs at the time. I could have heard that on any movie anywhere. Uh, as sad as it is, you know, it just it was catchy too. So for you to follow up with an album that to me had more hits on it than the first one. And for them not to give you that opportunity to follow up as soon as it could have to have the, the momentum, it just, it pisses me off because in no reality should like somebody like me that loves the music I do not have heard of your name up until a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's a travesty because I think the music that you brought into this world is fucking beautiful. 100%. And more, yeah. And more people need to fucking hear it because the message and everything is so good. You know you're you're a, a veteran at the you're 20 years into this industry and you deserve all the flowers and accolades because absolutely oh yeah chris chris can we do that can we can we give reese her flowers Ooh. now yes usually we do it in the beginning we're I gonna would do love it love to hand out flowers we're gonna we're gonna reese we're gonna give you your flowers now you deserve every bit of a petal that has been grown out of the stem that is from that rose reese I you love, deserve it all i love roses <laughs> <laughs> so to say that i'm going to hit the button that says reset Let's talk about it. Give us more information about Reset, your inspiration behind it, uh, the name and the production, the highs and lows. What happened with Reset? Okay, my life is a big like book. It's like a story because when you say the highs and lows, it's absolutely like everyone's life, right? Mm -hmm. um, a Reset, <clears throat> song you heard that I played you for Reset? That's yes. literally the third version. That's the third, that's the third reset. I, I made reset, <clears throat> well, the whole concept of it became just at first, um, the producer from the first album 
we were talking and he's like, oh my God, like you gotta do your next album. You should call it Reset because Reese and you know, it just works. And I was like, okay, cool, that sounds good. But then I actually like by the time the music, you know, by time, like, which is closer to now, um, I actually went through a reset. Like at first it started out off as just like a cute name, you know, just something that like a clever name, you know, to go for an album. But it actually like started, I don't know, I started living it, you know? Um, I made one album, I'd say like 2000 and I wanna say eight or something like that, or six, something, I, I don't know when, I know maybe 2008 I started it and did a whole album with the producer, um, Doc McKenney, he's like the guy who does the weekend or did the weekend's first three albums. <clears throat> and he, we did this whole album. I recorded all my parts on my own dime. I would fly up to um, Toronto, record at his house. He did all the production on it. The thing got done. He was supposed to send all the music and everything to the mix engineer and he never did. And I was like, well, why didn't you send it? And then I got an email <clears throat> a few months later saying, you know, pretty much a contract saying that he wanted $20,000 a track. And I was mm. like, what? I was like, what? I like $200,000 you want for me? We said we were doing this on spec. On spec means we're all going to do it until I get a deal. And then when I get a deal, you get your money. Like you get money. But by no means, at least definitely at the time, like he was not a $20,000 track producer or maybe he was, but I, I don't think he was at the time. Like, I, I don't, I mean, now I guess you could say that because he's done the weekend, but this was not that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And is that, is that legal? Yeah, it's legal because he, you know, I was, I guess, young and dumb and you know, when I did the recording, I didn't have my own hard drive. I didn't like ask to take the music. I trusted him, you know, to do what he said he was gonna do. And he completely didn't. He completely like lied. Like he just was like, no, I need a 20,000 to track, which equals to $200,000. And if you sign this, like, you know, agree to this email or whatever. And it was like written in a way of like, you know, like a lawyer wrote it, you know? And I was like, what? And I, I probably called him up, up like, and like kind of cursed him out. Like, are you kidding me? You're, I think I actually told him, you're not a $20,000 track producer. You're not Rick Rubin, dog. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm sure that pissed him off. And so he never, you know, never gave me, never finished it, nothing. And then I cried and then I started making another album and I just started like making songs here and there, here and there, here and there, and had like a bunch of songs. And then I- Who's your, who's your favorite person that you've either like opened up for, done a collab with? Like, is there anybody in the industry that just really sticks out to you as somebody that was like either just really cool or for you was like, again, for, for me and Taj right now, this is our fangirl moment. It's you, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so <laughs> when did you have your fangirl moment where you're like, like, cause you're just, you just so casually were like, yeah, Wimbledon, Mary J. Blige, whatevs, BT Dub, oh, no probs. That was like, a big deal. That was, yeah. you know, I mean, I have I have a couple, there's a lot of people like, you know, I don't I don't know if you know people out there know about a group called Fishbone, right? Yes. So, you know, my first drummer, yeah. my first drummer in my band was Fish from Fishbone. That's like, you know, a huge that's you know, when people talk about black rock artists or rock artists, period, you know, like Fishbone is a band that if you listen to Fishbone, 
you will hear why no doubt and why the red hot chili peppers have a career right because really one of their one song from fishbone is what red hot chili peppers has done their entire career exactly one, one song that that fishbone has made is what no doubt like ripped and and they made a whole career off of that one song and these kids were doing it at 11 started at 11 years old in japan like like in california but playing all over the world at like 11 and 12. you know um so you know that that's a big moment for me also being able to you know produce a song with wawa watson who you know is one of the funk brothers you know god rest his soul he he's passed away um about four years now um but that was a great moment um you know, the time that I got to meet, you know, Faith Evans at the studio, you know, she came to the studio to record and we were like, oh my God, it's Faith Evans. And she had like <laughs> a sweatshirt on that had a, that had Biggie and Tupac on it. it oh, you know, wow. Oh my God. You know, and oh. then I sit in her session and hear her sing. And I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Faith Evans, um, you know, doing Wembley Stadium and, you know, knowing that you know meeting sting and knowing that annie lennis and sting heard you know her saw my show there um those those moments are just like surreal you know and i just never thought i would be a part of something like that um even even moments that were you know almost you know things that were misses you know that i almost got the part like i you know at one point um nerd they wanted to add a female artist um you know singer to their band and Although I didn't get the, the the part, you know, I didn't get the the position or whatever, you know, just the experience that I had with traveling with them um, for like a week and, you know, seeing their live shows like from the side of the stage and going in the studio in Miami and recording like five, six songs with Pharrell and and hearing my voice, in, you know, in the duet form, you know, with his and, and the songs. And even though they didn't come out or whatever, like just having those kind of experiences that like people will never know about, you know? Um, they, they mean the world to me, you know, um, knowing that someone like that, you know, is a fan of mine, you know, and like bugged out when he first met me. And then, you know, it, you know, it's just, it's just great, you know, meeting Andre 3000. And, and the first thing he's saying is like, oh, we finally meet. And it's like, wait, before this moment, you actually <laughs> heard my song before, like, you know, you know who I am, you know, or even, you know, being able to hang out with like Cartoon and Estevan Oriol, who are like, tattoo artists and amazing photographers and they're like LA East LA Mexican you know dudes that like grew up there and have just take taken their art and what they've you know always known and and their culture and like made it big time with it you know or or going to like Cuba I went to Cuba a few years ago um with the roots and got to sing on stage and you know got to meet Asada Shakur and you Bro. know it, wow. it, yeah. Bruh. And like, that's <laughs> so like, I, that's why I'm, you know, I love my life. I think life is to be lived. It's not always about getting the part, but it's also just really, when people say it's about the journey, it really is about the journey. It it's really is. It's not about just the goals. Cause there's so many things I've done that I didn't get that part or I auditioned for this movie, but I didn't get it. Or I did this, or I did that, or I, I got to go to Russia and like, you know, I got to go to Siberia and perform, you know, it's crazy because some of these guys I see on the news right now and it's like, oh, okay. I didn't know I performed for that guy who's friends with this guy who's the guy in Russia. You know what I mean? But right. it's like, you have all these experiences and it's like all because of music, all because I just like to sing.
Well, I'll be honest. It's, I, it's, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tosh. Yeah, I know. I resonated with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris, you already know like it's stuff that we haven't really put on the podcast yet because I'm not sure. But we'll I, I res, yeah, we will get there. But I resonate mm-hmm. with that. It is about the journey. Um, you know, like I was telling Reese uh, before. You know, I grew up in music. I grew up uh, in dance. I auditioned for So You Think You Can Dance. You know seen people that I saw in, in California. I've seen people that I saw in Ohio. I saw, you know, and I'm getting, still getting the, the invites, you know, to Mexico and all that kind of stuff to meet other people. And it's just a journey of, like Reese said, music is the love of music and the networking and who you know and ha- and just being cool with, with everybody. I'm not necessarily starstruck with everyone because I, I know everyone is is just a person who, who loves what they love. And that connection to me is amazing. And the fact that we have conversations about stuff that we love, it's almost taboo in the world outside of that. Um, so to have that connection and know that, man, it, it's it, the energy is just amazing. So yes, it is, it is a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. I It's so funny because I don't know how, if you think you can dance this, but like I actually auditioned for um for uh the voice one year they 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 called me up and like I got a call like hey like will you come and audition for it and I wasn't doing you know anything I wasn't you know I mean I was living my life but you know and I was like okay I'll I'll go and I auditioned and I didn't have to wait in line and all that stuff you know they just like you just go on a certain day and the casting director, really, you know, huge fan. She, my, I think I know there's a song that I did with Pharrell called You Know What that I, I pretty much like bootlegged myself because he didn't want to put it out or no, he put it out on his album. So I had a version. He wrote the song like during a session for me, but then Jimmy Iveen was like, ah, I don't really like the song for you. And so Pharrell re recorded it, added some sounds to it, and he released it on his album. And I was like, well, shit, I'm gonna put out my uh, my version. And she had that as her ringtone, the casting director for the for the voice. It was crazy. Like I, I got all the way to doing like the rehearsals for the blind audition. I was like in being sequestered in a hotel with like all these kids, you know, that seemed like they should have been on Glee or something. And <laughs> you know, they're all like all in the hotel, like singing in little packs. And we were had to lie to people and say we were at like a a theater camp or something I don't know and so we were sequestered for six weeks in a hotel so six weeks imagine of eating like hotel food okay oh. <laughs> it was just like I was there you know and we had all these meetings and we're going to the uh you know we're about to go to this meeting for lawyers and they call me and they're like uh Charisse, uh can you can you come outside when you talk to you and in reality show fashion they're like we can't have you on the show you know, it was the day before I was supposed to do my like blind rehe- my blind audition rehearsal. And I was supposed to sing like pink songs, right? They wanted me to sing like songs from pink. And like, I forget what other song, like a Kings of Leon song or something. And they were like, we can't have you do this because you sang backgrounds for Gnarls Barkley for over a year. Oh. And, and we, and this, oh, is yeah. the second, this is the second season. And oh. last season, Alicia Keys' background singer won. And we don't want to mess up the integrity of the show. And we know that as soon as like people get on the TV show and people see them, they get Googled and people just start Googling them. And we don't want people to think because CeeLo was actually a judge on the right. show. 
Right. So they want people to think that, you know, this isn't, this isn't real. And I have to give it to them. They actually weren't, you know, it, I guess it, it was the best decision for them because, you know, they actually were doing it legit. Like they did not let you see, like the judges could not see who we were, you know, like you, they were never around. We were sequestered in a hotel. Like it was legit how they were doing it. So it was kind of a bummer to me because, you know, I knew that I didn't talk to CeeLo. I didn't call him and tell him, like, I didn't have a way of calling him or anything. And there were no, no one that was on the show was actually at the hotel or at the rehearsals or anything. But, you know, just like in reality TV show, they're like, so we need you to pack your bags right now. (laughs) (laughs) A white van downstairs to take you to the airport. Your flight leaves in, in an hour. Oh or two hours. God. I was like, what? I was like, am I on T? Is this on? Am I being filmed right now? Like, what? And, you know, I, I was upset. I was like, you know, it was kind of shocking. And so I go upstairs, pack my stuff, and I was on this plane back to Philadelphia. Like, it was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. And, and, you know, it's this is too, you know? It is crazy you brought up Pharrell, though, because, like, when I first, when Taj first mentioned your name, I started listening to everything. Again, I couldn't pinpoint your genre or your type or whatever and it instantly made me look back on that uh, viral video that fro had with maggie rogers it is what made me oh, think right, of right right i like, remember that she, I she got famous because of that yeah i mean she was really good her voice was really really great and it seemed yeah. like she was all like she should have already been like signed i'm i'm surprised he didn't sign her like did he sign her or i think he did because he was in tears the first time he met her yeah. He, and the same energy that he had for her is how I feel for you. Like you're like Wu-Tang. You're, you're, you're your own thing. People are either going to love you, like you said, or maybe I've not heard of who heard you are. It. Yeah. And so, it's so funny you mentioned Wu-Tang because I, the very first song that ever came out, like under like, you know, the name Reese, R-E-S, was um, a song that I sang on for, it was like the title track for Jizza. Uh, oh, was, I thought you were talking about Get Your Way. No, it's called Beneath the Surface. It was just okay. like, he had an album called Beneath the Surface a few years, like, I think it was like 2000 and maybe it came out or 99 or 2000. But uh, yeah, just a friend of um, Santa Gold was uh, w- was like his manager at the time. Oh, and you know who this girl is now? She's, um, well, she always was this person, but she is um, Angela Yee. Angela Yee and Santa Gold went to college together. Wow. And, yeah, they've hmm. been friends forever. Like, when I mean friends, they're like BFFs. Like, they're real friends. Like, friends, friends. Like, I've, you know, and Angela ended up doing, this was before she was in radio. She ended up doing, you know, radio and, you know, she, but before that, she was managing uh, Jizza from Wu-Tang. And wow. just like, oh, let's get Reese on a song. And they asked me to, like, sing this chorus or whatever. And I did. And, and that was the first that was like the first time I was super geek too, because I walk in the studio and he's playing like chess. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> of course he <laughs> would. And it was like real chill. It wasn't like groupies or anything that you think of like, oh, it's going to be a hip hop situation. No, it was none of that. It was just, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it was just that. But yeah, I have a lot of random stories because, you know, I got to meet Kanye and be in sessions with him and and listen to like music and you know that he was working on at the time you know early 2000s and you know it it just was a great time like even watching the Jesus um you know documentary he has out it just like brings back like memories of you know 
just being in New York in early 2000s, you know, on Broadway at 686 and 689 Broadway. It was like, that's where all the underground hip hop guys were and, and raucous entertainment was there, raucous records or whatever. And, you know, it's just, you know, once you're in it for a while, you just, you happen to meet people and, you know, they're, you know, even like 88 Keys, like I've known him for years and, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't see him often or, you know, everyone kind of goes their own way. And some people, you know, they blow up to the stratosphere and then, you know, and there's other people that you just, you know, you make your living making music and, you know, it's just good memories. So, you know, I can't complain and I, I don't regret it. And it's all about the journey. It really is. And you don't really know that while you're, while you're on it or in the beginning of it, you don't really know. But if that's the best advice I can give to anyone is, just enjoy, enjoy the journey. Your new album, we got a chance to listen to three of the songs. It's very interesting to know your story now because after listening to, to those songs, and thank you for that, um, yes, I literally wrote you. down, <laughs> I literally wrote down new album reaction. I said, amazing, well, reset name represents to me fighting, empowerment, resilient, and conquering. And Oh, yeah. Just from what you're telling us, right. that's a full circle completion of that album. Yeah, you've had to overcome so much bullshit and you've <laughs> had so many people. Well, I think I consider set you back. And yeah, I honestly like this is when you talked about like enjoy the journey. I think yours is just getting ready to take off. I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't, you know, I while you're going through your ups and your downs you know you're trying to just like get through them but you know looking back it's like now that i got through all of that it, you know now i'm going into this new phase of enjoying it you know and you know trying to figure out where do i want to perform and how do i want to perform and and making sure that i'm working with people that i actually like and i want to work with you know stripping things down so it's just you know the core of what it needs to be and not having all the embellishments for no reason, you know, or, you know, just really getting to the guts of, you know, why I really like doing what I do, you know, and you're right. Um, you know, it's a journey. It's, it's definitely conquering. It's, you know, that album is, you know, uplifting. It's, it's, you know, to me, you know, the, the cover, the cover art, everything that you said, the way you described it is, is what the cover art looks like, you know, it's moving forward, looking forward, conquering, you know, your past, you, you know, it's, I almost named the book, I mean, the, uh, the, the album, A Woman of a Thousand Faces, you know, because, you know, that it, it's kind of like a nod to, um, to a book with a very similar name that's about um, heroes and being a hero and how, you know, it's the same story in every um, culture that has like um, um, uh, a story or, or a fable or, you know, some kind of like, you know, just any story that's about a, um, about a hero. It's the same thing. It's like this person who doesn't like what's going on in their life and they're really sad about it. And then they go into like this dark spell where they're like, just they're dark and, they're, and, they, and they go through a lot of like craziness and then they learn from it and then they overcome it to actually like overcome it and to, and to like kind of help other people, you know? That's like the story of the journey of, of the hero in every culture, it's like the same thing. And I feel like that's what Reset was about. And so the cover art 
when I when I shot the photos, I wanted it to be like I wanted to look like the black like Joan of Arc, you know? Yes. So we that's what we did. So I, I guess I should like show you the photos, you know, just because you guys are so into it. <laughs> you got you got some super fans over here. And the reason I say I think your journey is just beginning is for one, you've had all these ridiculous stories and connections to people that is more than enough for one person in a lifetime you still took the time out to come talk to a couple of fucking nobodies out of Ohio. And that shows who you are as a person. So thank you for that, because this is huge for us. Oh, this I is, you know, for our building, like for us to be able to go around because there are people that maybe I didn't know who exactly who you were, but they're like, Reese, like Reese, 2000, some Reese. I'm like, yeah, Reese, like they know, know you. You know, and I'm what? like, it's so cool. We, we, um, the person that did the cover of black girls rock and, he did the cover for me for, uh, he didn't take the photos, but he did all, all the creative direction and like the graphics and everything for Black Girls Rock and for this new album reset. He is from Ohio. And I, would, I met- We probably know him. You, O-H. <laughs> his, name, his, name is, his name is Christopher Lyons. And oh my God, I actually do know who that is. No, I'm just playing with you. Shut up. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and how about this? We met via MySpace, I still have not met this man in person. We do everything wow. online and over the phone. He is the best graphic designer I ever worked with. He's on point, he's so creative, and he actually isn't even gonna do creative um, graphic designing anymore because he's now just gonna do his own art, which is insane because of like, he's just really great at it. And uh, yeah, it, it's crazy because, you know, he actually got out of his job and started doing, you know, covers and everything and basically like I was the first person he ever did it for and then the people at Warner Brothers liked him and he did something for like Madonna and like Yona Oka like it was crazy and now he's like that's all he does is is graphic design and I I just am really happy that we connected when we did and he helped me out a lot I helped him out a lot and you know he's from Ohio and I just bought my car but me and my partner bought a car in Ohio Wow. You, okay. Shout out to Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown, Ohio. We're not that far, actually. Uh, Chris, it's true. It's you true. know what's crazy about this, Chris? Um, my sister brought it up in our season one that most of our guests is either from Ohio or have connections with Ohio. Oh, my God. I love Ohio. Holy shit. They really do, don't they? They really do. So, always to the listeners, and I'm sure I'm feeling the I.O., so Reese, uh, when are we expecting the reset album? Well, I'm doing shows right now just because I need to do them because you know that's how I make a living. Yes. Right. And then we're like right after going to release it because reset is done. You know the artwork's done, everything is done. So we're just kind of playing it by ear because you just don't you know because basically we can you know it's release it because it's done. I like it, I love it. You know um, people have been waiting for it for a long time. Um, but I am actually giving it to the people who supported my Indiegogo campaign first. So they're yes. going to have it first. And then we're going to be releasing it to the public because they just deserve it. Thank you guys so much for interviewing me. It was really <sighs> fun. And it's always good to hear, you know, to talk to people that really like it and to hear, you know, the, the um, like what new, you know, new fans think. And like, yeah, really please don't stop for the first time. So. But before uh, <laughs> before we go, Reese, at every episode, uh, we always like to give a positive message to the listeners. 
Mine is sabotage the moment. Whenever you find something that is negative, find a way to sabotage the moment and find positivity. Reese, what is yours? Mine is love the life you live and live the life you love. And don't ever help someone more than you see them helping themselves. Preach. Damn it. I was actually going to take love the life you live and live the life you love. That's such a good one. That's the life. I literally listened on my way so many times. I was like, I'm straight up stealing love the life you live and live the life you love. Yes. You took your words, Vic. Damn it. I feel. All right. So next episode, I got my closer. There you go. There's your closer. Be be kind. Be patient. Reese, dude, thank you so much. This is so cool. Yes, Reese. Thank you for for coming in and uh, having this journey with us. That's it's awesome. Um, I wish you guys luck. And I know it's going to grow this podcast. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys, you know, at the top. Well, hey, we hope to see you down the road. Yeah, we might even come up to one of your shows. Who knows? Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I got to figure I'm doing some shows at City Winery. Um, I'm doing uh, first I'm going to Detroit and I'm doing a show at Willis Show Bar April 7th in Detroit. Um, so if you guys are near there, I don't know, but come. Um, and then I'm going to do May 21st at Washington, D.C. at the City Winery, um, June 3rd, City Winery in Philadelphia. And I'm going to do Atlanta. I'm not sure when. And, uh, you know, just try to get out to the West Coast as well. So you got anything near Finley, Ohio? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was in Youngstown. (laughs) Much like the Huster, we got a lot of bills need paid around here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Ohio, I definitely will reach out to you guys. I ain't gonna lie. Like, I was already telling my wife about it. If you're somewhere even close by, like driving distance, I was like, I'd love to actually go because you seem so down to earth. I bet if I came up to you, I'm like, we did that podcast. You'd be like, hey, like, yeah. So, yeah, I, I we're maybe definitely going to be keeping an eye out. Maybe we'll come to Cleveland. We'll try to do Cleveland. Is I that love Cleveland. That works Cleveland. too. Love Cleveland. Nice. All um, right. Again, thank you so much, Reese. Yes, thank you, Reese. And for everybody else, later days. Peace. That concludes A, it's a podcast, Artist Spotlight, Reese. We would like to thank Reese for joining us on A and giving us the ins and outs about the music industry and the music coming up. And if you enjoyed this episode and or the podcast, give us a review, rate the channel, and follow us. You can follow me, DJ Sabotage, that's D-J-S-A-B-O-T-A-J, on all socials and Twitch. C-T-G Martin, that's C-T-G-M-A-R-1-0 on Instagram. And you can also follow our Artist Spotlight of the Week. Reese, that's the one Reese, T-H-E, number one, R-E-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to check us out every week where we will be discussing the Oscar slap, Taylor Hawkins, and part two episode of Yay. Until next time, later days.